as your downing donut holes. If you have a Bible, you can open to Acts chapter 10. We're going to continue the series that we started this summer called A Few Good Men. Uh, we could have put in parentheses there. Women, uh, obviously, uh, both were important in the uh, development of the early church. And we're looking at that example of, of the early church. as written by Luke to his buddy Theophilus here in this book of the Bible called The Acts of the Apostles. Uh, but we're trying to figure out, hey, what are the things that they did that we need to do? Uh, we talked uh, last week about a guy named Peter. He's one of my favorites of the men uh, that are mentioned in the book of Acts, actually in the whole book of the Bible, uh, because he's me, or he's you. He's, uh, whether you're male or female, he has the same tendencies that you and I have. He sometimes talks too fast, thinks too little. Anybody been guilty of that one? Uh, uh, he is uh, uh, a chicken every once in a while, and I get scared. Maybe you don't. Uh, teach me your ways. But, uh, uh, but yeah, he's, he's, just, he's just a normal guy that God does some extraordinary things through as he submits to him. So uh, we've been looking at him as our mentor, as our template, and uh, we're going to look at him for a few more things this morning. Normally I open my message with a story, but nothing went wrong at my house this week. It was everything was fine, and uh, I didn't break, yeah, no, I, I celebrate with you. I didn't break anything this week. It was awesome, and uh, uh, you know, my kids were relatively okay, you know, and, and uh, so I got nothing to complain about, so I'm just going to start reading the Bible. Here we go. All right. Acts chapter 10. Is everybody with me? Before I get to the verses, everybody remember what we talked about last week? Peter, who's uh, the apostle that God has used throughout the book of Acts to start the church and and bless the church. Uh, He has now moved away from his home base in Jerusalem. He's kind of wandering around the northern parts of Israel. He's gone to a place called Lydda. He met a guy named Aeneas there, and he he healed Aeneas. He was uh, crippled for eight years, and all of a sudden he could walk again. Uh, That was a miracle. uh, We learned from that that we need to keep moving. Uh, Peter would have never met Aeneas, if he hadn't you know, left Jerusalem, he's, he's just moving, he's available, he's ready for what God has for him, and we need to follow his example in that, be ready, be moving. Uh, the second thing we learned uh, is that he went to a place called Joppa, it was about 10 miles from Lydda, uh, at the behest of some of the friends of a, of a lady named Tabitha. She had gone uh, on to be with the Lord, he, she had died, uh, but Peter, because he had been given these uh, incredible abilities to heal was summoned by her friends. And in fact, we didn't get time to talk about it because there's always too much sermon and not enough time. But uh, uh, she, she was healed. Uh, she came back to life uh, and, and Peter uh, was available. It's one of the hardest things. Uh, when we talk about a, a, a follower of Jesus Christ who is living like they're supposed to, we talk about faithful, available, and teachable. And you may have one of those that's tougher than another, but, but for most of us, availability, just being there, just being available is one of the harder things. And so... Uh, Peter taught us, t- taught us there to be available anywhere and any time. But now uh, we've kind of come to the point where uh, he's, he's hanging out. It's a verse I didn't get to teach you last week, but in verse 31 of chapter 9, he's hanging out at a place called, uh, well, Simon Tanner's house. He's, he's Simon, T- Simon the Tanner. And it seems like a throwaway verse, but it's, it's really significant, especially as you get into these next couple weeks as we talk about the life of Peter. Uh, uh, the, the Tanner. Does anybody know what a Tanner is? A t- not someone who goes to the booth and, you know, tries to get orange. Uh, <laughs> uh, the, the tanner back in those days was someone who dealt with the carcasses of, of animals. They would take the skins off of an animal and use it for the many things that they used uh, animal skins for back then. Um, it, it's unique that Peter, Simon Peter is staying with Simon the tanner uh, because tanners were kind of on the, uh, well, they were on the un- undesirable list in Jewish culture. Uh, they, their job kind of made, well, it didn't kind of, it made them unclean. They were constantly dealing with, and I want to get into all the Hebrew, you know, the Jewish traditions and stuff. I can't read the whole Old Testament to you, but there was, there was a lot of uh, 
laws about what you even handled. It would make you unclean. So if you handled the guts of an animal, it would make you ceremonially unclean, and you couldn't go and hang out with other people. And so uh, tanner's houses were always outside the city gates. You couldn't have a tanner house inside the, in the gates because you might mess up everybody else's Jewishness. All right? Uh, so uh, on the dregs, you know, on the, on the outsides of, of, of society... Uh, Simon goes to this place called Joppa. He's, he's brought Tabitha, one of the beloved disciples of the church there, back to life. He's got his pick. He can stay anywhere. Where does he pick to stay? The Tanner's house. Why? Because God is moving in the direction of the undesirables here in the story of the early church. It's been 10 years. Uh, Jerry's, Jerry's going to talk to you about this next week. But it's been 10 years since the church has started. And still the church is, is very Jewish. It's very the people of Israel. And what did, what did uh, Jesus tell his disciples in Acts chapter 1? You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea. Got it. Nailed it. Samaria. Gone there. All right. Fair enough. Philip and, and Peter and John went there. But then to the utmost parts of the earth. What's his, what's his point? Is he talking about the globe and all the... Yeah, ultimately, yes. But he's talking about the people. The gospel of Jesus Christ is going to go to everybody, everywhere. And 10 years into the church, it hasn't yet. It's a very Jewish, saturated faith. But here, Peter, first steps, baby steps. Stayed at Simon the Tanner's house. And now he's going to meet a Gentile. Here we go. Chapter 10, verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius. Everybody say Cornelius. Caesarea is like a day's journey, basically, just to the north and the east. Uh, or west, I'm sorry, of, uh, uh, of Joppa. Uh, but uh, up there in Caesarea, who's it named after? Anybody want to guess? The salad. You're right. Anyway, um, Caesar salad. There, it's not funny. Let's keep going. Um, at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, and he was a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. Now, uh, right away, you know of centurion, he's not a Jew. If you're a centurion, who are you working for? The Romans. You're a Roman soldier. You're a Roman government. Uh, you're a non-commissioned officer in the Roman army. Uh, if you're a centurion, how many people are you over? A hundred. Who had a hundred? Anybody had a hundred? Bonus round if you had a hundred. All right? Uh, bonus round is this. Does anybody know what the Italian cohort is? Yeah, I didn't either, so I had to look it up. We don't know a whole lot about it, but a cohort, just so you know, in the Roman army, a cohort was 600 troops. So how many centurions were in, involved with the Italian cohort? Good math, everyone. It's great. We're, we're, we're off to a flying start. Don't you, are you feeling it? It feels good. So, so here's Cornelius. He's, he's a part of the Italian cohort that's, that's stationed there in Caesarea. Uh, he's leading his men, uh, and, and, and that's all we know so far. So let's keep reading. Verse 2 says this. Uh, he was a devout man who feared who? God. Now, the Romans had their own guards. They might remember reading that in your Western Civ classes. They had Jupiter and Mars and all these, you know, the, the planets mostly, but... Uh, uh, they, they worshipped their own set of gods. They had temples built to them. Uh, everybody would be brought up to believe in these mythological gods. But, but uh, this, this centurion Cornelius is like, nah, I've been hanging out here in Israel. Uh, I don't think our gods are real. In fact, I believe in the, in the, in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I believe in, in, in that God. And he, he feared him. And, and, and his, his devotion to the, the God of Israel had seeped into his whole household. He was a leader of his home, and so his family and his servants and those who were under him, uh, they had believed as well. He gave alms uh, generously to the people, not just the Roman people, to the, 
to the Jewish people. He, he understood that God is a giver, and if I'm going to believe in this God of Israel, then I need to be a giver. And so he was generous all the and he prayed continually. That's just fascinating, remarkable stuff. He's a centurion, uh, a Roman, em, Roman Empire guy, and, but he prays constantly to this God that he wasn't born to. He's uh, just minding his own business, verse 3. It's about the ninth hour of the day. Does anybody know what the ninth hour of the day is? Who said three? Nice play over here. Way to go, bro. Rock and roll. That's a rock star right there, everyone. Oh, it says it in your Bible? You're cheating. Nice. All right. Anyway, uh, so you're, you're not smart is what you're saying. No, okay. Uh, no, you can read. That's good. He is smart. He's very smart. He's a very nice man. I like you. All right. Uh, the first hour of the day was 6 a.m., so ninth hour of the day, three o'clock in the afternoon, Cornelius is just hanging out and he has this vision, a very clear vision of an angel of God. And the angel comes to him and says, Cornelius, because all angels sound like Barry White. Now, verse four, and he stared at him in terror. No kidding. I mean, all of us, you know, we read the Bible and I think we tend to hyper-spiritualize stuff, but we're humans. If, if an angel of God, a supernatural being, comes to you this afternoon and says, TJ, all right? Hey, this is different, all right? And your initial thought is going to be, once you figure out it's not anybody else that you, you know, could have taught, and you, it's the voice of God, it's going to freak you out a little bit. It's okay, we're human. Cornelius was human. Had had a lot of conversations with angels. In terror, he says to this angel, what is it? And then he gets it right, Lord, right? He, he, he didn't necessarily know that he was talking to God or whatever, but, but he knew this, this, this whole thing was a God thing. I've been praying to you, and now, you know, I've always sensed your presence, I've always sensed your leading, but now you are audibly speaking to me. What is it, Lord? And he said to him, well, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a, a memorial before uh, God. He sees everything that you're doing. He loves it. He digs what's going on. Verse 5, he says, and now, uh, here's what I want you to do. God wants you to send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter back here to Caesarea. Verse 7. He is, or verse 6. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, uh, whose house is by the sea. So he gives him the address. Go down there by the sea. Look for a tanner's house outside of Joppa. That's where he's at. That's early Google Maps. All right. Verse 7. So when the angel who spoke uh, to him departed, uh, he called two of his servants immediately. And a devout soldier, another soldier in his, in his command, he says, all right, you three guys, uh, you're going to head down to, to Joppa, verse 8. Uh, and, 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 and here's what's happened. I've had this, you know, uh, uh, this interaction with God's messenger. I know it sounds weird, but just trust me, and I'm your boss, so do what I say. Uh, go down to Joppa, go to this house by the sea, look for a Simon the Tanner's house, and then bring back, if he'll come, Simon Peter, the apostle of Jesus. Okay, everybody up to speed now on what's going on? Now, fast forward 18 hours, roughly. Uh, the next day, as they were on their journey, it took about a day to get there. So if they left that afternoon, maybe stopped somewhere in an inn on the way, that now they're, they're picking up in that morning and they're heading uh, towards uh, Joppa where Peter is. And while they're walking towards Peter's house, where he's staying at Simon the Tanner's, uh, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter, Simon, uh, went up on the housetop at about the sixth hour to pray. What time is the sixth hour? Noon. So it's high noon, and he goes up on the housetop. Just so you know, uh, like we go out in our yards. You probably didn't have a yard back then if you had a house. 
Uh, it was probably just the street. And just so you know, uh, all the animals and then most of the human waste that, uh, that was in, uh, in, those, in those towns was in the trenches or in the ditches in front of your house in the street. Wasn't a great place to go and hang out. So if you wanted to hang out, you went up. And that was where your lanai was, okay? So he's going up. He gets on his, uh, his, his lounger. You know, he's probably got an umbrella. You know, maybe a drink with, you know, something uh, fruity in it. I don't know. And uh, maybe not. And he's hanging out there. He's going to pray. Oh, he's going to pray. It's probably, no, so no drinks. So he's going to pray. Uh, uh, and, and, and he became hungry. No kidding. What time is it? It's lunchtime. It's time to eat. Uh, most of you at around uh, noon today are going to start looking at your watches or your phones. Because you're going to be like, man, hurry up, Mark. Because it's time to eat. I got to get to those donuts. All right. So he's hungry. He wants something to eat. Uh, but it's taken a while to prepare things back then. No microwaves. All right. So, so while they're preparing it, what's it say? He falls into a, now some of us are thinking like Wayne's world, like, it's not that, all right? He, he takes a nap. He falls asleep. He, he's, he's, you know, he's praying, and who's ever fallen asleep when they're praying? Come on. Confess. I, I can sleep kneeling like nobody's business, just so you know. Drooling all over the seat of the chair, right? Someone will, you know, I actually did that in one of my first staff meetings on the first pastoral staff I was on. I fell asleep. The pastor next to me had to nudge me. That's great. Amen. Anyway, all right. Uh, <laughs> he falls into a trance. Verse 11. Uh, and here's what he sees in his dreams. Okay. Uh, and he saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet uh, descending from the heavens, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. So this actual word sheet here is sail. He was, he was hanging out uh, you know, at a seaside uh, town. Uh, called Joppa, so he's seen lots of ships, and so uh, he, he, he in his dream sees a, a sheet or a sail, not unlike this, come down. It's got four corners, so we know it's square, uh, and the four corners actually represent uh, east, west, north, and south in the dream. It just, it's this picture of all things, and you're going to see what the all things are. It's the completeness of everything that God has bestowed upon Peter in this certain area. The great sheet comes down, the four corners of it lay upon the earth, verse 12. And in it were all kinds of what? Proteins. <laughs> it's lunchtime. All kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. This is the same uh, uh, kind of phrasing and, and that was associated with the ark uh, back when they took two of all kinds of the animals. So, so this isn't like uh, a subset of the animals. It's like in this dream that Peter's having, he could see all of the animals. And they're all resting in this sheet. And a voice comes to him in the, in the dream, and it says this. Rise, is the voice of God. Rise, Peter, kill and eat. We're all grateful that we don't have to go to the, you know, the woods and kill. Most of us don't kill our food. Some of you are hunters, and you're really good at that, and you dress deer in the, in the field and all that stuff. Good for you. But most of us are just as happy to buy it in plastic packages. Is everybody with me on that? You know, I'll, I'll take my chicken, just put it in a package for me, I'll pay. Uh, but back in those days, if you, well, and even in most of the world that we live in today, if you want to eat it, you got to catch it, kill it, skin it, cook it, and then you can eat it. And that's, that's what God tells Peter here. Hey, get up, kill one of these things and have some, have some protein. Uh, God speaks to you in a dream. What do you say? What did Cornelius say when God told him to go find Simon Peter? He'd say, yes. Yeah, he did it like right away. What does Peter say? Well, Peter's like you and me. He's like, look at what he says. No way. This is actually a, a heck no. It's, it's meganoita in the Greek. It's like, absolutely not. 
It's rendered here in the English Standard Version, but Peter said, by no means, Lord. He, now, he was, uh, Peter was used to this. He was constantly telling God's son, Jesus, I'm not doing that. He just told him that all the time. Uh, Jesus told him, hey, man, I've got to wash your feet. The night before he's you know, crucified, he's, he's in the upper room, and he's, he's hanging out with his disciples at the Last Supper, and he, he puts on a towel, and he's going to wash everybody's feet, and he gets to Peter. He says, I've got to wash your feet. And Peter's, what does Peter say? No way. Good intentions? Sure. He's like, I'm not, you're, you're the master. You're not washing my feet. And then Jesus says to Peter, says, listen, unless I wash you, you can have no part of me. And then Peter's like, oh, no problem then. Give me the ultra deluxe. I want, you know, just wash everything. I want everything. You know, dip the whole thing. I just, you know. So he was, he was quick to see his mistakes, but his, he was a loud mouth. He was, a, he, he was, he was assured of himself. He was the guy who wanted to get out of the boat and walk on the water with Jesus. And di- he danced for a while, but then he was like, oh, it's a storm. Anyway, uh, Peter is, is, is a, a denier of God, uh, and he starts here. Now, why does he deny God in this dream? He says, I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Well, if you're just reading this and you don't understand some of the Jewish uh, religion, you're going to be like, what are you talking about? What is common and unclean? Like, like you know, the, the, <laughs> the store brand stuff? I don't know what you're talking about here. Um, no, common and unclean is basically going to the dietary laws of the of their Jewish religion. If you go to Leviticus chapter 11, which I can't read the whole thing for you, but you can read there all the things uh, that the Jews were forbidden to eat in their diet. Uh, it's, it's, it, the Hebrew word is kashrut. Uh, we call it kosher, all right? Uh, there's certain things that are kosher and there's certain things that are not. Even in how you prepare them. If you prepare things in such a way that they will become defiled, it doesn't matter if they were kosher to start with, they've become unkosher because how you've prepared them improperly. Are you with me? Uh, I got a taste of that when I went to Israel last summer. It's pretty amazing. Uh, just the, the basics of the law are this. If it chews the cud and it has cloven hooves, like a cow chews its cud and has cloven hooves, you can eat, you can eat burgers all, the, all day long in Israel. Have fun, right? But if it doesn't chew the cud and has cloven hooves, or if it chews the cud and doesn't, did I say that? It's got to have both is what my point is. So a pig, who knows about the pigs and the Jews? Anybody knows about the pigs and the Jews? You know, those are always punchlines and jokes, you know. Uh, there's a better chance of that happening than having a ham sandwich at a bar mitzvah, you know, something like that. Anyway, pigs in, pigs in the Jewish religion don't work because they've been forbidden. They're unclean animals, all right? Shellfish, unclean animals. Uh, uh, the crawling things, reptiles, all of these animals. So as they descended on this sheet, they would all be seen by Peter's like, nope, nope, nope. And God says to Peter, hey, go kill some of that stuff and have you some. Peter's like, you know, I'm passing this test. There's no way. I've never had anything that is unclean or common to the rest of them. I'm not going to break the laws. Uh, the, 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 the Jewish nation, there's, they have different kitchens because you can't prepare these kinds of foods in the same kitchen as you prepare these kinds of foods because you might sully both. So they'll build two, like in every hotel that I went to in Israel, two kitchens. One would, there, there's a, oh, this is just extra, but there's, a, there's a, a law in the scriptures that says you can't cook uh, the, 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 the calf of an animal in its mother's milk, which I don't even know what that is, cooking style. Is that like broiling? I don't, I don't know what that is. Anyway, uh, but, uh, but now they've, they've expanded that to mean that you can't have milk and dairy in the same meal. So when I would go to breakfast, you, you, you had yogurt, you had eggs, because you'd have eggs but not the meat. Uh, I had ice cream for breakfast in Israel. Delicious. Very good. Nice choice. And all the pastries and breads you want, right? And you could have butter at breakfast, but guess what? When they brought the steakhouse stuff out at night, 
you know, and, and it was all the meats you could, you know, want to eat and stuff. There was no bread for your butter, or no butter for your bread. There was no milk to have. All the dairies and the meats had to be separated and prepared in different places. Went to have a cheeseburger at McDonald's in Israel. Doesn't exist. Because you don't put the cheese on the burger. And some of you are like, wow, that's kind of weird. Not if you're Jewish. And, and uh, you know, next week you'll hear more about this. But all of these, all of the laws that God gave the, the Israelites were given them to show that, them that God is holy, that he's not common, he's not to, to be trifled with. And so he wanted them to live by certain ways so that they would constantly be remembered of the uniqueness, the holiness of God. But here comes God, and this is what he says in verse 15. Look what he says. In the trance, he says uh, in this voice uh, to, to Peter the second time, hey, go ahead and eat it. What God has made clean, do not call common. I don't know if you underline stuff in your Bibles, but that's a good one. Because that is a great reminder that the standard for clean is not you and me. The standard for clean is not some religion. The standard for clean is the God who makes clean. He determines what's clean. And anybody in here who has a faith in Jesus Christ, who has been washed uh, you know, of their sins because of that faith, you should know, like I should know, that God has made us clean. What was impossible to save, God has overcome through the death and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. That's the Christian faith. God makes us clean. And so he comes to Peter and he says, Pete, listen. You're kind of missing my point. I know I brought the food down and you're wondering about the food and the dietary laws and stuff. But the point I'm trying to make, the big principle I'm trying to get across here is that a lot of the things that you think are unclean, I can make clean. A lot of the the laws that maybe initially I gave to you so you could better follow me, but get perverted along the way, you know, you made stuff up about them so you could have more rules to follow, so you could differentiate yourself, you know, between the others, I'm better, you're worse. A lot of those laws, they're not, they're not helping you. I want, I want to show you how I can make things clean. It goes on in verse 16, it says this. <laughs> this happened how many times? <clears throat> Three times. Peter is a two-by-four Christian. Here's what I mean by that. He doesn't get it on the first try. Anybody, any other Christians like that? Any other Christians had to be told a couple times? Come on. Anybody heard this sermon before? <laughs> yeah. You probably have. When you get done, you're like, oh, yeah, I heard that before. Uh, but, but have you lived what you've heard all the time? No. Because a lot of times we've got to hear it again and again and again and again. And then finally, oh, it sinks in. Same dream, three times. First two times, apparently Peter was like, no, seriously, stop, stop showing me the sheep. I'm not going to eat that stuff. And God patiently in this trance says, no, you don't get it. In fact, he's, he's, he's going to get to the point where he's going he's to say, listen, I'm not talking about the food really at all. I'm talking about people. There's lots of people. This is where I want to go. There's lots of people out there that you think are unclean. Not true. You've got to stop thinking that God only loves some. He loves everybody. He's for everybody. His desire is to be connected through Christ to everybody. And you've got to quit making my world small. Got to open it up to all the people that God loves. I had a slide that I was going to show you. I was going to talk about, you know, how everybody has a sheet list. But then I thought I probably shouldn't do that. So uh, I want to talk about the people who might be on that list, though, for us. The ones that we would exclude from the love and grace of God. How about bad people? 
Anybody think of bad people in the world? Oh, there's some bad people. Like, has anybody ever uttered this? I know you probably wouldn't admit it to me, but has anybody said, oh, there's a special place in hell for him? Has anybody ever said that? Like there's compartments in hell that are worse than the other ones, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, we look at some of the, you know, the stars on television and their, their immorality. We look at, you know, uh, you know, whoever it is, the people who aren't like us that are obviously, you know, in our estimation, just far from God. And there's just no way. They're hopeless cases. They're bad people. We look, we look at the police blotters. We see all the news of the, you know, the horrible atrocities committed by these, you know, reckless, uh, evil, uh, you know, unforgivable people. And, you know, let them rot in hell and in the jail cell they're in. And, 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 and these are our mentalities because bad people, man, they're, they're on the sheet. They're, they're, they're not to be dealt with. How about these? These are the really bad people. Anybody got some really bad people in your life? Like, who's the different? <laughs> like, who are the really bad people? Well, the bad people are people you don't know. They're the strangers in your life, the people you just kind of know of in culture. But the really bad people, they're the bad people you do know. The ones that abused you. The ones that are abusing you. The ones that left your family and you grew up in poverty because of it. The ones who hurt your, your wife or your husband before you met him. Uh, that boss that totally uh, took your job from you. The, the really bad people, the ones you know. The ones you, you don't have to guess about their spiritual condition or guess about their intentions in life. You know they're evil, they're wrong, they're bad. And you put them on your list. How about this one? This one's fun to talk about. The different people. Who are the different people? Well, this one is kind of a category that's just uh, in, in, in the midst of, of Christianity. Uh, did you know that some Christians think that other Christians aren't going to make it to heaven? That sounds even funny to say. But, like, I grew up in a church that said we're right and the other ones are wrong. Like, the way we do it is the best way. Got to have your hair a certain length. Can't wear denim because it's too much like devil. It's only two letters different, right? Some of you are like, where did you grow up? I grew up in an angry Baptist church. <laughs> and in the angry Baptist denomination, just everybody else was wrong. In fact, that, that seemed like the mission of the pastor was to point out every week that, how the different people were wrong and how we're right. Like that was somehow the gospel to prove that our theology or our slant on theology was better than it. Now listen. Do I think that there are right theologies and wrong theologies? Absolutely. Do I think that a lot of those things are minor issues that I can overlook if you have a faith in Jesus Christ? Yeah. And should I? Yeah. You know what I think is going to be so fun? When Jesus comes back, I don't know if it's going to work this way, but wouldn't it be great if we all had to stand in line to get into heaven? Like if we all, you know, all of humanity, let's talk a couple billion people, and let's say they put you together kind of in communities. Like the Brandon community has to stand in lines for everybody who's going to go into heaven from Brandon. And you're going to be standing in line, and you're going to look across, and you're going to see the dude from work who you were like, no way. There is no way possible that that guy made it in. I had him pegged as a Satan worshiper. Or he went to a different church. Or he didn't even go to church. And you're going to be like, no way. And you know what they're going to be like? <laughs> they're going to look at you and say, no way. That egotistical religious nut, are you, are you with me? We're going to be surprised at the roll call. 
because we put these people on our list. But here's what Jesus, you know, through this dream started to tell Pete, hey, Pete, I'm blowing up the list. There's no more list. Everybody has access to the love and grace of God. In church, we can't ever forget that. We can't ever think that anybody's far too, too far gone. There's no hope. No. God loves everyone. And so his church must love everyone. Now let me, let me throw this caveat in there just so we're clear. I'm not saying that everyone gets in. Everybody gets the difference, right? Everyone can get in, but not everyone does. If, if someone who, and, and listen, it doesn't matter if you're a good church-going person, moral, you know, does everything right, by the book, stuff like that. If you don't have faith in Jesus Christ to save you from your sins, if you haven't admitted that you're a sinner, you can sit in church for the rest of your life and still miss heaven. Is everybody with me on that? But the same goes for the person who is, you know, sitting on death row, who has committed some of the most atrocious and horrific crimes in history. Uh, they can hear the gospel from pastors and prison, you know, ministries all they want. If they don't respond, well, then they miss out on heaven too. I'm not saying that everybody gets into heaven. I am saying that everybody has the same chance. And woe to us as a church if we start kind of shrinking down that group. You know what I call it? I heard it this week from another preacher. I stole it. I think it's a great word. It's gracism. Gracism. It's kind of like racism, but it's spiritual in nature. It's gracism. I'm in, you're not. I'm better, you're worse. In church, unfortunately, there's a lot of gracial profiling going on. People just kind of looking at people saying, like, you know what? In, in, not in, not even close. Maybe. A lot of gracial profiling happening. And we are the church that's going to stop gracism. It's not going to have it. Any, listen, anybody, it's okay not to be okay in this church, no matter what level that goes to. We're not going to be unwise, put anybody in danger, but we believe that there is no hopeless soul. For the grace of God is for everyone. It's okay not to be okay, so it's not okay to stay there. Let's figure it out. Extend God's grace. Well, Peter is getting that message, or at least beginning to, when we come to this next verse. And we're going to see that God's timing is perfect. God's timing is perfect. Uh, because as Peter's trying to grasp what he's just seen in this dream, God orchestrates things. I, I love the fact that God is sovereign and he's able to orchestrate things so that we can understand what he's doing in our lives. Look what it says in verse 17. It says, now while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, he's still trying to figure it out. Behold, anybody read this in the Bible? Behold, a child is born to you in the city of David. There's lots of beholds in the Bible, right? That's how I always read it when I'm reading it in my mind. And behold, there it is. Now some of you might read behold and be like, well, what a coincidence. How weird was that? It happened at the very same time. Behold. But all those beholds are like, hey, look what God was doing behind the scenes. Look at how he was working this stuff out. How cool is he? Because as Peter was trying to figure out the dream, at the very same time, God's time is perfect. Dream's over. At that very same time, a knock comes at the door. The men who were sent by Cornelius having made inquiry uh, for Simon's house, stood outside the gate of the home that Peter was standing in. Staying in. Verse 18. 
And they called out and they asked where Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging. Hey! <laughs> I don't know if that's how they did it. That's how I pictured it. Yo! Is Simon Peter up there? It says this in verse 19. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, all coinciding at the same time. That's weird, right? He's, he's pondering the dream. The Spirit says to him, hey, behold, the meaning of your, this is in the parentheses, but the meaning of your dream is here. The three men downstairs are looking for you. Right? Verse 20. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. Uh, translation, it's all going to make sense in like five minutes. Go downstairs. How great is that? Do you know our lives are full of that? Where God is like teaching us something and we're like, I don't know if I get this. And then all of a sudden something happens in our lives and we go, aha, behold, I get it. And, and the way that we get it is all at the behest, at the, at the bidding of a sovereign God who never starts, stops working. He never takes a nap. He never sleeps. He never pauses. He's always working around us to bring about his perfect will in your life and mine so that he gets the glory and we get the best life. Now we have choices. Oh man, how many times have I experienced the sovereignty of God in my life? He leads me right to water and I fail to take a drink. You know what I'm talking about? We do that all the time. Where it's just obvious to us. This is what we're supposed to do. This is how we're supposed to live. We're like, mm, I like it better over here. But God's always doing that stuff. I mean, I don't know if you take, you know, do journals or something like that, but you should, you should really pause for a little while and just even this afternoon, go, go back to your world and sit down and think, okay, how, like my, my faith, if I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, how did that happen? Well, I was born to these parents and I met this, this Sunday school teacher when I was a kid and, and, and those things kind of converged and, 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 and then how, like, how did I find my family? I'll tell you a story. Two teenagers are growing up in America. Uh, they have no business at whatsoever uh, ending up at this one Bible school in Chicago, but they both do. You want to know how they did? Well, one guy's uh, a pastor's kid. He's barely Christian, just barely Christian, just not even. Uh, he goes, uh, actually runs away, as, as it were, for a whole, uh, his whole senior year. He doesn't do anything his senior year of high school to get ready for this next year in college. Uh, takes all of the SATs and SATs, dreadfully late, uh, applies to one school at the end of April of his senior year of college. It was a school his sister was going to. It was this little Bible school in Chicago. And uh, he just says, I need to go somewhere. Maybe I can smooth things out with my pastor dad, who I've offended greatly by leaving the home. And so I'll just end up there. Gets accepted. This is a school that routinely rejects more applicants than accepts in its freshman year. It's just not a big school. But somehow he gets in at the end of April and shows up that next fall. Goes there that whole year, breaks all the rules of the school in the first week. Way to go. <laughs> he was a champ. Uh, but uh, uh, slowly and surely, God just starts getting a hold of his life. He hangs out, meets some friends, decides, you know, maybe this is better, you know, for me to stay here another year. It's only going to go one, but he comes back to the end of the year. That same year, that first year of his college career, a, a young girl's growing up in Indianapolis, Indiana, and she has this radical transformation in her life with Jesus Christ. Just finds Jesus and just gets turned on, cranked up about following him and says, uh, it's, it's just unclear to her. She's got to go and be a missionary to the inner cities of America. She's got to go help poor people. It's just, it's what she's got to do. And so she starts trying to find, you know, school. She, she belongs to the church of God of Anderson, Indiana. There's a school called Anderson University in Anderson, Indiana. If you go to that church, you go to that school. It's just what you do. 
but they don't have a, a degree that's going to help her get to the inner city and help people who are poor. So she's, she's trying to find some school. She hears about this one from somebody who, you know, lets her know about other schools. It's a school in Chicago, right downtown, right next to the poor people. She's like, I'm in. Even though the school teaches a theology that's not the same as hers, she's, she's in. She's going to take it on the chin and does for the things that she believes. But she decides, I'm, this is where I'm supposed to be. So you got the barely Christian kid, you got the really Christian girl. They show up at the same school. They meet, date for 11 months, break up for four, date for six months, break up for 11, date for three months, get married. And because they did, Ben and Cooper and Kai Saunders all exist. But Mark and Eleanor Saunders had no business meeting each other. Chicago, Illinois? I grew up in northern Maine. Where's that? But here we are, right? And God moves and gets everything in position so that his best for our lives can be realized. Now, some of you are like sitting here and like, wait a minute, slow, slow your roll, Pastor. My life stinks. What about that? God behind that? No, sin's behind that. It's either yours or somebody else's. But sin's, sin's going to make a mess of life. Can everybody agree with me on that? Okay, well, what's God doing behind the scenes of that? Oh, great things. Read Romans 8, man. It is awesome. We are more than conquerors with Christ. Now, he is, listen, it says there uh, that he is at work, or behind the scenes, working all things together for the good of those who love him. Even the bad stuff. You in the middle of something hard? I'm sorry. I really am. Like, even if you're the cause of it, I'm still sorry. You had a bad day and you made a mess, I'm sorry. But do I believe that it's over, that your life is done, that, that nothing could ever come of your life? No, I don't believe that at all because we have a loving, sovereign God who is constantly moving the pieces so that everything comes to our good. I trust it's going to happen in your life. I know that's what's happened here. None of us are sitting here except that Cornelius gets a message from God and acts on it, sends three dudes to the house of Simon the Tanner, at the same time that God is talking to Simon Peter on the roof, saying, hey, dude, lose your sheet. Got to open this thing up to everybody. Here's your object lesson. It's at the gate. Third thing, and I'll let you go after this. God's grace is for everyone. If you haven't picked that up, that's kind of the theme of this morning's message. God's grace is for everyone. Look what, look what Peter says. Uh, Peter went down to the men. And he said, I'm the one you are looking for. What, what is the reason for your coming? Uh, and he explains it. Cornelius, a centurion, an upright, God-fearing man who was well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send, you to, uh, send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. And so Peter says this. Oh, uh, he invited them in to be his guests. Now, just as we close this morning, there's some verses in your Bible that just seems like, eh, big deal. Peter, Peter asked these guys in. Uh, slow down. Take a look at that one more time. Who are these guys? You got a Roman soldier and two Gentile servants of a Roman centurion. You know why they were standing out at the gate? Because everybody in the culture knew if you were Gentiles, you didn't come into a Jewish person's home. I mean, unless you were going to wreck it and then breast them. Uh, if you did so, you would defile that home. Just by your very presence being there. Pete hears their, their reasoning for being there. He figures out the dream. Oh, 
God's love is for everyone. And he does something that has, well, he's never done for sure and has not been practiced in Israel uh, hardly at all by God-fearing Jewish people. He tells Gentiles, you're staying here tonight. That little verse right there, so he invited them in to be his guests. That's, that's the first Jewish-Christian-Gentile interaction in Scripture. It's not Cornelius. That's not until the next day. Everybody says, well, Cornelius was the first Gentile you know, to be affiliated with the church. No, his servants were. Because Peter says, come on in, bro. Yeah, you sleep there, you guys, you take the back. And he brings them in. Anybody got a house? Who's got a house? Anybody got a house? Anybody sleep somewhere? Isn't it good that God gave us houses? Anybody glad they got one? I mean, like, I wish the mortgage was lower. I'm almost done. Uh, But if you got a house, uh, is there anybody you wouldn't let in? Some of you are like, dang right, there's people I wouldn't let in. The the really bad ones. They're not coming in. They have been barred from my house. I know of families in our church, they haven't spoken to their loved ones for years because of some hurt that's gone unresolved. Right? I'm not saying be unwise. I'm not saying put yourself in danger. You got some person who's going to do you physical harm. Don't talk to them outside. But is there anybody you should exclude from, from your home? Is there anybody who has uh, out the grace of God? Is there anybody that should not receive your hospitality and love and hear from you the gospel that has changed your life? No, there shouldn't be. There shouldn't be anybody. God doesn't exclude anybody. He, he loves them all. He, he's not going to receive everybody, but he's willing to receive everybody who will receive him. That's the mission of all of us. That we would be extenders of God's grace. What God's grace has done in our lives, we want to see that repeated in the lives of other people. And that's going to take us opening our eyes and seeing people who we thought were common and unclean as the treasures that God sees them as. May God help us with that. May God give us the grace to be that. May we as a church, listen, we can be known for lots of things. I'm grateful for, for the most part we have a pretty good reputation in our, in our, in our town. You know, uh, that's awesome. It's not what we're going for. It's not like what I live for. But it's nice to be thought of kindly, right? But if you know if they said nothing else about Bay Life, I would love for them to say that Bay Life Church and her people, you guys, they're the church that will extend the love and grace of God to anyone. Because that's what he's called us to do. So may God help us do that. Amen? Let me pray. Hey, Lord, thanks so much for your word and for this this life that Peter lived and the things that he could teach us from it. Uh, God, uh, we want to be a place that, uh, that uh, you know, people can come and sense your love, hear your gospel, uh, be, be radically transformed like you've done in so many of us. We want to be a place, God, um, uh, that, that extends your grace, doesn't hide it, doesn't reserve it for the specials. Uh, we want to be a place where your love reigns. So, so help us to be that church. Uh, thank you for the ways that you work behind our scenes. We know that you're, you're constantly on the move. You're doing things, God, to, to order things so that we can step into your best for our lives and give you the glory you deserve. Here's my simple prayer on that front, Lord. Would you help us all to realize when you're doing that, would you help us all to be ready for, uh, for the opportunities you're going to give us in life? 
the behold moments uh, where, where you're at work. Help us to step into those with faith and with expectation. And, and, and may we meet you in those, God, so that you get the glory you deserve in our lives. I want to pray for people in here this morning. I just sense there's probably some who are kind of skeptical about you. They're trying to figure out if you're real. They're trying to figure out if they can trust you or the people that, you know, say they trust you. Uh, you know, if they can trust them or us. Uh, Lord, I pray that you'd break down all the barriers that stand between the hearts of men and women in this room and you, and that you'd lead people to a simple faith in what your son Jesus has done. He's come, he's lived a perfect life, he's died on a cross and risen from the grave so that he is our perfect sacrifice so that we might have life through him. May people in this room know and believe that and be changed by that, I pray. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all grab some donut holes, talk to Cindy and uh, Eileen. Have a great week. God bless you until I see you again. Come.